0: A lot of our phone is really designed like a slot machine. Slot machines make more money in America than baseball, theme parks, and movies combined. And you play with a penny at a time. And one of the reasons for that is something called variable rewards, which is you pull a lever or you push a button and sometimes you get a big flashy reward, and sometimes you don't. And that process is an extremely manipulative and addictive one in the brain. Every time we're hitting one of those little red icons, we're playing the slot machine of Mm -hmm. like, ooh, how many likes did I get? Was this a message from that person I really wanted to get a message from? And sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. This
1: week, I'm thrilled to have Max Stossel with us. Stay until the end of the podcast where Max will reveal to us some tips and tricks so that you can help your kids and yourself have a more satisfying relationship with technology, and less regret. How to break some of those addictive habits, those addictive patterns of behavior. If you've ever sat down for a quick scroll through your Facebook page and then realized an hour has gone by, this is the podcast for you. Imagine what you could have done with that time. Stay tuned. You've heard of Unconditional Love. Welcome, everybody, to The Happy Bar. This is our 100th episode. Yay! 100th episode. Wow. (laughs) Very excited about that and also very excited to have a special guest with us, uh, Max Stossel. He's an award-winning poet and filmmaker named by Forbes as the best storyteller of the year, and he's also the head of education at the Center for Humane Technology. That's an organization working to realign tech with humanity's best interest. How are you, Max? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I watched. This panda is, this panda is dancing. Yeah, this panda is dancing. And there was a quote there that I, I thought really summed up so much about you and so much about what we have talked about. And that's, imagine a future where technology is built on our values, not on our screen time. Some smart person said that. It <laughs> <Who laughs> was that? a combination
0: of a couple of very smart people, um, which I was a part of. That was not entirely me. That was also Joe Tristat. I was trying to think of what's the message at the end. Joe <laughs> Edelman gets some credit for that one. So to Sonder, who was the brilliant video graphic motion graphics artist who did all the effects for that piece and yeah, team effort, but I definitely believe in the message.
1: I'd love to just talk a little bit about your background before we talk a little bit about some of the cool stuff you've been doing lately. Uh, So you grew up in Manhattan, is that right? I did. I grew up on uh, the Upper West Side. High school at Dalton, college at Haverford, which is a little
0: school in Pennsylvania. What were you interested in as a high school student? As a high school student, I was exclusively interested in sports and video games. Um, (laughs) Those are the only things that I cared about. There definitely was this tremendous sort of New York school, private school, Pressure of to be doing a lot of things and doing things that look good on a, on a college resume, but yeah, I mean to be honest, at that time in my life, I really just wanted to play sports and video games. I ended up playing some soccer in college, and that did end up translating over. It was incredibly privileged to go to a New York City private school, and it's yeah, it's it's one of those things that it's tough to compare with other experiences because it's the only thing that I know. But it was a uh, it was definitely an interesting environment. Also quite a bubble from from the real
1: world, I think. Well, that's interesting that you say that, a bubble from the real world. Do you feel in some way that, that video games, that technology provide a bubble from the real world? I think right now technology more than ever is putting us in bubbles
0: just by tracking every one of our clicks and every page that we're visiting and everything that we're scrolling through and having some algorithms that are systematically using that information to show us a version of the world that we are most likely to click on, to have a range of emotions about, so that we might share that piece of content. And when you're doing that to 2 billion people, everybody is being pushed into a world that more and more fits with their own, with their own views. And we're still exposed to other points of view, but often on the internet, we're done so in a way that is not really digestible or easy to easy to take in, it's just we see the the most angry and outrageous version of the other side and we think, wow, they're so stupid. How could they not get it and see what I see? And we have two billion people who are thinking some version of that. And so I think definitely the internet does put us in bubbles, much more personalized bubbles to our own brains and own click patterns. And the bubble that I had in Dalton was more just one of extreme privilege.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So inherent in what you just said, there's, there's some degree of manipulation that's happening by somebody, somewhere, when it comes to technology. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because I know you've had some experience on the other side of the screen. I want to make it clear that there's not like an evil person
0: sitting behind the screen thinking, ah, I'm going to manipulate you now. But what does end up happening and did happen for a long time was that because on the internet or with many social networks, especially our time and profits are connected. So... People working at these companies have trouble looking at us as humans with thoughts and dreams and fears and things that we want to accomplish in the world. The system itself needs to look at you as, hey, you are a something-year-old male with 24 hours in your day, and I need more of your time this year than I uh, had last year in order to keep my shareholders happy. Mm -hmm. And so when that's the case, all of these design decisions start going into how do we grab as much time? as possible. And when machine learning algorithms are in play, you have a bunch of people that are training algorithms saying like, okay, how can you be the best at, at like really giving something someone giving people something that they will click on, something that they want want in quotes to click on. Like so then the machine says, Okay, like let's figure out what are the best things for you to click on? What do you quote like? What do you want to see? But something that might start that way and start in a really positive place very quickly just starts testing a bajillion things and learning what really works at keeping your individual brain on the screen. And it doesn't, you know, the machine itself is not thinking like, huh, is this extremist sort of point of view actually something that's going to benefit your day? It's saying like, Ooh, look, more extreme ideas are actually better at keeping you here on site longer. And so it's not that there's a, there's a person who's like trying to manipulate, But it's just that once these very intelligent algorithms are making these decisions, and no individual at a company like Facebook could tell you how the algorithm works. There are too many decisions, too many calculations going on. No one could really tell you exactly why you are seeing the next piece of content in your feed that you're seeing. And once algorithms like that are making the decisions, we start to have a lot of consequences that I think very few humans would really say hey, this is something that we want for society.
1: Can you speak a little bit about some of those consequences and why you're so passionate about what you do? Sure. So on the tech side, the one that's,
0: that's most terrifying to me right now is like our, how our versions of reality and truth have been distorted. That's the scariest one One for me. It's just really just that two billion people being pushed to the extremes of whatever ideas are in our head already. Whatever you and not like, not them. It's very easy to think about this as them, you and me. Like mm-hmm. whatever you and I, are most likely to believe, like those are the type of ideas that we're going to have fed back to us and those ideas are gonna be pushed to extremes because those are the things that work really well at grabbing our attention. Mm-hmm. If you land on a YouTube video about vegetarianism, the algorithms will naturally push you towards veganism and then you shouldn't have any, anything from bees because honey and you know, honey products are, are harmful to bees. It's like whatever idea is in your head, you're gonna be pushed to the extreme of that idea. And what does a world look like where 2 billion people are being pushed
1: into that? Do you think technology has played a role in the divisions that we see in politics, the divisions that we see even between ourselves and ourselves? 100% I do. This is the type of thing that it's very hard to
0: statistically prove in any sort of causation. It's really hard to prove, like from a research standpoint, that that's what's going on. It is absolutely my hypothesis. That is what's going on. It's not the only factor. I mean, I think you can look at, particularly in the news standpoint, you can see Fox and CNN also becoming more extreme, Like, and these big hubs on TV are also becoming more extreme. It's my hypothesis that most people who work at these organizations are on their phones a lot of the time. The content that they're getting in their versions of the world, I think, are being skewed by these networks. And then, so, you know, these networks are made up of people. These organizations are made up of people who naturally, I think, start to have more extreme views of the world. And then start putting out things that are, I think the people at these networks or some of them actually believe that what they're putting out is whether it's central or fair and unbiased. But I think just our versions of what unfair and unbiased are, are being pushed towards different extremes of what reality is or isn't. What reality is, is a whole other rabbit hole (laughs) to dive into. I absolutely do think that, our, that technology has played a role in our country's division and the challenge of being able to even have conversations with one another because we're just pulling from different ideas of what reality is. And that scares me because when people can't have conversation, usually the alternative is violence.
1: What are some ways that you found that help us to foster that sort of compassion, that sort of understanding between people? And how could technology help with that?
0: What that brings up for me is this work I've been doing with someone named Joe Edelman, who is like a real, a real leader in this field. He helped coin the term time well spent that is now being spread around in all the big tech companies. And he's very much of the belief that what we need in technology is to get centered with human values we need to better understand our values, and then we need to design technology that helps people live by their values. And so there are certain conversations or arguments where we're just going to be screaming at each other and at each other's throats and rah, rah, rah. But if you can get to what value feels in jeopardy by this thing that's happening in the world, or like, why does this really matter to you? And if you can start having that conversation of like, oh, well, because I really care about safety, being able to act with, uh, act with a sense of personal safety and security. I care about personal agency and freedom. I care about if you can get into why things really matter to people, and those aren't the best examples of values. (laughs) Um, But if you can really get into why things matter to people, then you start having a different sort of conversation where it's like, oh, well, this is why this sort of thing matters to me, and this is why that matters to you, and I can hear that. Mm -hmm. It starts to get much hairier when it's, here's how it should be and how it needs to be, and this is right and this is wrong. But if we can have more conversations from the place of this way of being, this way of showing up in the world I have found is valuable for me and this really matters to me and it feels in jeopardy or blocked or threatened by X thing that's going on, it's much easier to empathize with that person than it is with most of the conversations that we're having. And unfortunately, most tech is not well designed for those conversations. Those conversations are just easier to have right now in person or when I can see your face and react. And I think it would be very cool to see technology start to shift towards really thinking about, huh, how do we help people live by their values? You're trying to be more creative in your life, more bold in your life, more honest in your life. What does a communication platform look like that is working to help you do that? It would probably look very different than something like a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram.
1: In terms of kids and extremes what you said about extremes and our country you know teenagers are are, i think prone to extremities i do a lot of this a lot of speaking at schools really illustrating to kids how look like you've been
0: manipulated in x y and z way when you're not the customer of these products you are the product itself and i show them here's some ways that you've been manipulated and i'm trying to help them understand the differences between the digital world and real life because so much of that leaks out into our real lives. These systems that are designed by a couple of designers in Silicon Valley, they start to have a very real impact on how teenagers see their social relationships and see their lives and see their friendships. There's many people probably know about something called streaks on Snapchat. Mm -hmm. What that is is pretty much that. When I send you a message and you send one back to me on Snapchat, and Snapchat is the most popular messaging app for teenagers, when we send a message back and forth, we get a streak. So it's this little sort of gamified system of a point for every time we send a message back and forth every day. And that grows and grows and grows, and it seems harmless. But something very real starts to happen where these kids start to believe, "Ooh, if we don't keep our streak going, are we really friends? Um, if I don't have a lot of streaks, like, am I actually sort of popular? Or am I cool?" And you remember how much being cool matters in mm-hmm. in high school. And there's this powerful moment that when I speak in schools, where I say, "Like, hey, everybody, raise your hand if you use Snapchat," and just about every hand goes up in the air. And I say, "Keep your hand up if you like use." Or sorry, keep your hand up if you use streaks. Every hand up is stays up in the air. And then I say, keep your hand up if you like using streaks. And about every hand in the classroom except for one or two students goes down. And there's this funny moment where the class as a group realizes that like, huh, maybe we are doing something that we don't actually like doing. Maybe we are manipulatable by these systems. And it's not just kids. We're all manipulatable by these systems. We're human beings stuck in humanity 1.0 while this technology moves faster and faster, getting really good at persuading us. And so with the kids, I'm just... I'm trying to give as many tools as I can to help them peek behind this curtain and be able to have healthier relationships with technology. But ultimately, the goal of our organization is to redesign the system so that they don't, it doesn't have to be such a hard fight so that we can trust fall into tech and have it actually have our best interests in mind.
1: I know you have a background in psychology. I do as well. And the idea of variable rewards and how that plays into some of what the reason that so many of us find technology to be quote unquote addictive
0: slot machines make more money in america than baseball theme parks and movies combined and you play with a penny at a time and one of the reasons for that is something called variable rewards which is you pull a lever or you push a button and sometimes you get a big flashy reward and sometimes you don't and that process is an extremely manipulative and addictive one in the brain And so a lot of our phone is really designed like a slot machine. Every time we're hitting one of those little red icons, we're playing the slot machine of like, Mm -hmm. ooh, how many likes did I get? Was this a message from that person I really wanted to get a message from? And sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. And then similarly, every scroll, what am I gonna get? What am I gonna get? What am I gonna get? Sometimes we get this sort of intellectual or mental or emotional reward, and sometimes we don't. So that is one of the mechanisms that makes it very hard to put our phones down because we're caught in this
1: slot machine type process. I I love hearing that because what I like to remind people of who feel, feel bad feel regret about, gosh, I, I I have so many things to do and I just spent two hours on Facebook or or 10 hours on a dating app for adults. You know, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> 24 hours, whatever it is. We feel bad about that and feel bad about ourselves and think we're broken in some way, but really our brains are working exactly like they're supposed to it's just that there are teams of people and technology that understand how our brains work and are catering to that with the variable rewards idea that you just talked about. So I think awareness, just being aware that, wow, this is alluring. It's meant to be alluring and it may be more than I can handle because of the way my brain works. Totally. And it's understanding you know, and it's not
0: impossible to put this stuff down mm-hmm. like on an individual level. But it is, I feel like, important, and this is one of the things I'm trying to help the kids with, is not saying like, oh, this stuff is evil or wrong or like, you must not do this. It's, hey, like, this isn't really designed for you. Here are some of the ways that you're probably very likely to get manipulated by these tools.
1: This idea of variable rewards isn't just something that the people who, behind our smartphones are aware of. You mentioned television or the internet before. Gosh, you know, CNN, breaking news breaking news every couple minutes, you know, and sometimes it's it feels like breaking news and sometimes it doesn't, but it's the same sort of thing. Sometimes I'm glad I hung out to find out what the breaking news was. And sometimes I'm not. Uh, but when five minutes turns into five hours, my ratio between satisfaction and and regret <laughs> shifts. And since CNN can't, you know, because they require our eyeballs for
0: their profits, they can't say like, this is, you know, maybe moderately important. This is a like... This might matter and it might not matter. That can't be the headline. We as a society sort of got accustomed to the way TV handles breaking news, right? The way TV handles those sort of levels of alerts. And we learned to either ignore it or not and take it as seriously as we would. A lot of people will sometimes say to me, hey, is this like so different than it's been in the past? Is this so different from what TV did or what radio did or what the printing press did before it? I really do believe that we didn't carry our TVs around 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Our TVs weren't collecting data on us in those 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we didn't need to walk inside of our TVs in order to talk to our friends and family members in order to do the work that we have to do in our lives. These, these problems aren't necessarily new. we've poured so much gasoline on the fire with it with all of those things the 24-7 and like the necessity that they have in so much of our lives that like imagine if the alcoholic had to do everything in his life in a bar like that would be very challenging so it's uh i do think it's a it's a new category of problem that we've hit here it's not new problems but a new level of these problems how do you want to structure your day what's the role of it in your life how does it make you feel and that's a really powerful question for parents as well which is If you had asked me when I was growing up, like if I liked Halo, I would Mm -hmm. say, yeah, I love Halo. Halo is all that I want to play. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me, how does Halo make me feel? If I were aware enough to answer this question well, I think I would have told you that like, huh? Like, okay, like the first hour feels really fun and exciting. And the next 17 hours feel like addictive and in rate and I'm just fired up and stressed and hunched over. But so, you know, what role does this serve in our life? Am I using technology or is technology using me?
1: Yeah, and, and I think just taking time to reflect, you know, does does this bring me satisfaction? Did my experience just bring me satisfaction or did it bring me regret? Just taking that moment and, you know, it may not be the kind of pattern that we can break right away. We may say, oh, regret, lots of regret, and then find ourselves right back there <laughs> the next day and then back there again, and yeah. again. But eventually, I think we, if we take the time to say, wow, here I am at this point of regret, grad again, eventually something happens and we do have an opportunity to co- make a different choice or make a choice earlier so that we don't reach that point.
0: The choice earlier, I think, is, is quite key. And it's mm-hmm. also, it's very easy to fall into the shame spiral of like, oh, like I knew and now I'm still doing this. Rah! Like, why am I still doing this? I'm the worst. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. I don't want to pretend that it's easy to do this stuff. Big part of the reason that we're doing so much work of trying to change the system from the top is that we only have so much self-control human brains do work a certain way and while we're not completely powerless in the situation we do only have so much that we can do to take care of ourselves and so it's it's not easy and i don't want to pretend that it's easy but you're not lost and hopeless
1: uh, well you know it's interesting a few things popped in my head as you were talking and i've heard you speak before and one of the things i walked away with thinking about was the power of silence and the need for space for mental space so that you can have some self-reflection and inherently it's it's a little uncomfortable mental space and, and silence and that's why we fill it many times with all of these different distractions and so you got to be willing to sit with that uncomfortableness to have that breakthrough moment on the other side. And that breakthrough comes in the form of an inspired idea or a inspiration to do something inspired doing versus mindless action. It's hard enough for us adults. It's uh, for kids,
0: especially to tell a child or, you know, a young adult that hey in order to be creative or in order to like in order to succeed you need to like sit and just like be uncomfortable with the thoughts and feelings that come with being a person and just to not go to every cat video that's ever been created the most engaging video games you could possibly have it's a really hard ask but unfortunately it does seem like boredom is going extinct and i do think it's important to cultivate like that process of being able to sit with yourself. When these monks came to Google, Walter Tristan Harris, who's the founder of this movement, was working there. Like one of the things the monks were most concerned about was that like, it seems like this technology has, it's never, with this technology, it's never been easier to run from ourselves. In any moment of discomfort, in the moment something gets a little bit hard, it's so easy to just open a new tab or go grab your phone and just check for a moment, just a moment it's so easy to not have to deal with the hard things. And so, yes, I think that's, that's one of the challenges we face here. And one of the things I'm hoping to be able to give to give students a little bit more power and insight into why that's important.
1: One of the, the tips that I accidentally tried, my phone was low on battery and I walked into a very cozy, quaint restaurant down in the village for breakfast one morning and I had the hostess charge my phone at the front. And so I went in and And every time I would get the impulse to leave myself a voice memo of what to do or to Instagram something, or, oh, isn't this a beautiful moment I'm having right now? Let me record it (laughs) so other people can see me. I didn't have my phone to do that, so I had to take out pen and paper and look around and people watch. and, And sure enough, it was uncomfortable for just a bit, but not long. And it wasn't long before my paper was full of ideas that I received, creative inspired ideas. And it was so powerful and effective that I do, that, do it every Friday now. And I give the hostess my phone, even though it's usually charged. So I was only doing it in my uh, on Fridays at this particular restaurant when my friend Ellen, who's a productivity expert, who I talk to often, said, you know, Israel, you could do that at home too. <laughs> I <was> like, what? <laughs> you could actually put your phone in the other room you don't have to go out to, for breakfast and, and pay for breakfast to do that. You could put it in the other room yourself. And this was a great yes and to you, to your tip. Put the phone in the other room, and then as the impulse comes up with all these things that you have to to do that involve technology, just write them down so you can come back to them later, but still protect that time where you're unplugged. It's very. I'm so glad it wasn't this way for you, but it can take a little bit
0: longer they don't have the immediate, like immediately they're just sort of like uncomfortable and like having like, Oh God, I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. It was very cool. That you got over that stage so quickly for some people that might take a little bit longer and that's, that's okay too. Yeah. So one thing someone said to me the other day was we could bring back the idea of like a digital Sabbath. Like we have one day of the week of taking an opportunity to just like reset, rest, not be so
1: connected. I really like that. Well, I have just a few questions that came came in from our listeners. That's the real irony, right? Here we are, thanks to technology, talking to each other, uh, and I'm reading off messages that I picked up from from social media to, sh- to share with you. For Maybe sure. I- <laughs> Always pros and cons which brings me to a question from veronica uh, who's a a mom of two and and veronica's question is basically how can you be in the world but not of the world how can you manage technology use required by the society we live in without becoming addicted the that's the
0: million dollar question right it's really challenging there are some things that we call these sort of band-aids of little tips and tricks within your settings that can be quite helpful in having a healthier relationship with these. The first is turning off all notifications that are not from a human being trying to reach you. So only letting your phone or I guess computer buzz if there's a physical person who is sending you a message. So no, this person liked your photo, happy holidays from Tinder, you haven't played Candy Crush in a while. All of those notifications are algorithmically generated looking at you as like number 72864B Trying to say, hey, if we give you this notification at this exact time, we'll have a pretty good chance of getting you back in the app. That's one. Um, another one that people really report really having a lot of you know, happiness and success with is not using your phone as your alarm clock. So mm-hmm. so many of us use our phones as our alarm clock. And the very first thoughts that we have in the day, right? We, hit, we turn off the alarm. Our brain is in a kind of groggy state. And we're immediately behind. We see all the things that we sort of missed, all the things being demanded of us in communication, probably not being perfectly worded because this is not a great you know, text and like, this is not such a perfect way of communicating. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the first thoughts in our brains. Those scheduled thoughts were not ones that we are going to have. So mm-hmm. buying a physical alarm clock, which is $8 on Amazon, physical alarm clock, and sleeping with your phone across the room or outside your bedroom and like letting your first sort of thoughts be your own. Those are a couple of tips that people have, have reported. You know, it's not gonna solve the problem, but it can be it can be helpful.
1: You've got a, a list of tips on your website. So I can post that link uh, under the- that would, be, that would be great. That's a great reminder as well. There's, there's a bunch more of those. One question that comes from Ray who has no kids. He's a single guy here in New York and he's spending way too much time on those adult dating apps that we talked about. He wants some advice because it doesn't feel good at the end of the day when he does his self-reflection. He's spending more time than he's pleased about and not getting the results that I'm sure he's, he's wanting there. Some tips for that, how to manage, gosh, this impulse for that we have for companionship and in all of its forms, what technology now offers us and <laughs> regret versus satisfaction for adults any advice there or tips there the dating apps one is is interesting so i
0: was i was surprised to learn a while back that like tinder was measuring their success in like number of swipes and i don't know about you but i don't think most people are going on to the dating apps and thinking like oh if i can swipe a lot of times today that's a really good use of my of my time that's what i'm looking for here i'm looking for swipes so the goals are are misaligned there Sometimes with this stuff, it's, it's what's Tristan do say a lot that like when we, when we're not sure of what our goals are mm-hmm. going into an experience in these digital environments, the goals of the environment start to become our goals, Gosh. which can be very unfulfilling. That is brilliant. That's um, brilliant. Have you said that before? Um, Tristan has, I don't know if I have, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying it right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really, that can happen very common, commonly, I think with dating apps, because if what you're looking for as you're swiping is you're like, God, like I want to be Connecting with people, like, you know, maybe, like, I don't know where he's living, but maybe sitting out on the street with a sign that says, like, ask me anything, so, like, maybe that's actually a better way of facilitating that connection and seeing that than it would be to go on one of these apps. Or maybe, like, when you have, a, maybe we should be, he should be more focused on the connections than all the new possibilities that it's so easy to get tempted into. And it's easier right. said than done. But this is one of the, like, the visions of what technology should be is like, okay, if you're feeling lonely. If that's the impetus of going on to this app, what a beautiful world it would be if technology could really be A-B testing all the possibilities for solving or helping you work through that loneliness and then giving you a menu of options that that were to do that well of like, ah, there are four other people that like you've indicated that you're interested in spending time with who are around you and interested in meeting up right now. These people have also indicated they wanted to watch more sunsets. The sun is going down in 30 minutes. Here, this is a place where you can see it. Just like, doing different, creating these different sort of environments that are actually thinking about our needs and our values because it's hard right now. We're fighting an uphill battle and it takes a lot of almost hacking through this system. And so I guess the best advice I can say is one, that you're not alone. A lot of people feel this way. And then two, are you really thinking about your intentions as you go into this experience? And three, are there other, are there other, you know, outside the box ways that you could think of of, of meeting people that might be more conducive to it than a dating app might be. I know a lot of my friends have complained in the past of, well, okay, maybe you match with some people, you start messaging, you never actually meet. Nobody ever meets up on these on these dating apps. I know that's a common common complaint. And then also you could take a look at it as a numbers game. It's just like you got to be extremely patient with it, but that involves a lot of right. this, which is often <laughs> cramp, cramp no fingers. fun and draining. And cramp fingers. And I think like often it, in some ways it exacerbates the loneliness, right? Of like, I came on here because I was feeling lonely. Swipe, 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 swipe. Oh, match, oh, but now they're not responding or this isn't going anywhere. Oh, like I tried and I'm just now lonelier. So it can be really hard. And this is why I would love for devices that are thinking about us definitely.
1: I think you're touching on something that's, that's so critical. And you said a, a version of this in the talk that I heard you give. And so um, I'll say it and then you say it better. And that's that our goals are often not in alignment. The person who approaches the technology and the algorithms that have built been built for the company that's after your clicks or after your swipes often our goals are not in alignment like with what you just shared your goal if you're going to a dating app isn't to swipe as many times as you can Yet that is the goal on the other side of the app. That's the algorithms that are being generated. So you said some version of that, and I think you might have included values and ethics in there.
0: I think what you're referring to in terms of my talks is the, there's the Sam Harris's picture of, there's this picture of a giant robot foot stepping on a construction worker who's stepping on some ants. If you think about the relationship between ants to people to artificial intelligence, in some ways, artificial intelligence is already outperforming humans, in other ways, it's not. Um, and obviously we don't debate that we're more intelligent than the ant, but we don't go out of our way to harm ants. Mm -hmm. Like in fact, sometimes we might take great care not to harm them, Mm -hmm. but the moment that their goals interfere with our goals, like let's say they want to live their ant hill lives and we want to build, we want to do some construction on their site. We annihilate them without question. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it gets really, where this gets challenging is that already a lot of the goals of these tech products are not the same of our goals. In that way, I, I make the point that I think we've lost the first battle to AI because we're losing some of the things that are important to us as, as humans. And if we're not incredibly careful to treasure the things that we value about humanity, and if we're not really, you know, thinking about values and what makes meaningful and fulfilling lives as we're building, it becomes all too easy to,
1: to create a world that we're not proud to live in. Well, this question comes from Tracy. She's a mother of three, and she was wondering if you could give some strategies on how to communicate your val- your own values as a family around technology to friends and teachers when they may not share those same values. So, so I'm reading between the lines in, in Tracy's question, and I, I'm I'm thinking a play date, for instance, where. There may be lots of video games played, but maybe that's not a value that your family has. You, you don't want your kid to play video games for the entire play date. How can you communicate those values? Yeah, this is, a, this is a common challenge
0: of ultimately you can have the perfect setup in your own household, but you know your kid does not live in your own household 100% of the time. This is, I think, one of the reasons it's so important to work to get the kids on board with with the values and the reasons why and what's going on behind them and it's not going to be perfect and they're going to be breakdowns but to really be able to to instill that and then and also one of the hardest parts too within your own home is leading by example right it's one thing to say like these are the rules in in our house and it's another thing to whenever the phone buzzes if you're in a conversation with your child to have to immediately fall into that trap of looking and breaking that attention it really is like it's so important for these conversations to be had in groups. And this is one of the one of the things that I like most about giving talks to like to parents and teachers and educators have, you know, with the kids too, it's good too. But this one for the parents really is that like we get in a room with a bunch of kids who are in a school and we say, Hey, like what's working, what's not working, and how do we want to proceed from here? because all of this stuff is so much easier to do when it's in groups and everybody is on board. It's so hard if one kid has a policy where he's not allowed to have a phone at all. And all of his friends are constantly just their whole social life exists digitally. That kid is naturally going to feel isolated and left out. And that's really tough. And so Mm -hmm. with any of this, like, I always say like groups of friends, like get together with your parents, like with your friends, parents, like your, your kids, friends, parents, um, and try to work this out in groups and come to consensus because it's going to be so much easier to do all of this stuff when you don't have that added element of, well, but Johnny does it this way. And right. Jesse says this. And so if you can eliminate that by establishing some of this stuff as a community, I think that'll be quite helpful.
1: At the end of the day, our kids are in this world. And so they have to learn to manage themselves and self-regulate themselves when it comes to technology. It's, it's just a reality. How important is modeling at home for kids that they, the grown-ups model that behavior? How important is that? I, I think it's the most important piece because
0: ultimately that's the that kids see what we do much more than what we, than what we say, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's solving this, and it's hard because we too have our own problems, call them addictions, call them whatever they are with this technology and so much of our literal lives so much of our work is on these devices it can be really hard to model healthy relationships with this stuff but some helpful tips tips there are things like having like the dinner table like having one family meal like at least every day and really having that space be a technology-free zone and holding true to that can be one really helpful thing and then yeah just really showing your own prioritization of real life over digital, not that you don't ever use digital, but just right. showing that like that time and that focus and giving people you care about your attention actually matters to you. And that's something that you are working to prioritize because if we're saying, Hey, you shouldn't do this. And we're doing something different. It just, just isn't going to land in the same way.
1: It's, it's probably similar to almost anything that you model as a parent take drinking for instance you know if you have a glass of wine with a dinner that gives your kids an example of how to drink responsibly versus outlawing all alcohol in your house that may result in a child who doesn't drink at all but it might result in a child who's very curious about drinking and with no real guidance or role model on how to do it responsibly so it sounds sounds like technology falls in, in sort of the same place. It's challenging because there aren't a thousand engineers on the
0: other side of the alcohol bottle who are updating it every day. Um, (laughs) But I think there there are similarities for sure.
1: That's an excellent place to end, I think. I admire what you do and it's such important work. If there are organizations or schools that would like to hire you to come and speak to them, to educate them on some of what you just talked about, how can they get in touch with you? Feel free to shoot me an email at uh, max at
0: It is a nonprofit, but we couldn't afford the .org domain. <laughs> max at uh, is a good email to reach me there. Uh, or my website, you can find me at wordsthatmove.com. That's more of my poetry and storytelling side of things, but it'll still get you to me.
1: If you liked what you just heard, then take inspired action now. That's right, act while you are feeling good. And build on your momentum. Schedule your free discovery call with me at instudios-nyc.com forward slash happy bar.